0: I literally only read the first essay, and then I was like sold and went off with that. Um, it was on like our apocalyptic interaction with landscape today, and how we can't we view the the earth in this lens of being able to destroy it and also having ruined it in many ways, and then kind of how do we interact as humans when we don't really feel connected with the land, but we kind of have this like apocalyptic experience with it.
1: Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linway. For today's 160th episode, I'm joined by Jonathan Engelin. He is a Minnesota artist and explores the ideas of post-apocalyptic nostalgia in landscape and works in a variety of different materials. So we're going to be talking about that and his project Nord Tribe. So please stay tuned for that interview. Jonathan was one of our finalists for our 2015 Studio Break competition. And we're very excited to have him on. Of course, we do that contest uh, every summer. So please stay tuned for more information about that. If you are a new Listener, again, you want to check out the other podcasts on StudioBreak.com. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's work, links to their website, so you can find out more information there, and of course, these uh, candid interviews where they kind of explain where they're coming from, what they're doing. So check them out on studiobreak.com. Again, big archive. If you just look on the left sidebar, you can go back through all the episodes that way. You can, of course, follow the iTunes link and subscribe there. Again, a very easy way to go back through the catalog and check out episodes that you might have missed. Of course, you can follow Studio Break in a variety of social media forms, so please like our Facebook page. You can, of course, follow our Tumblr account, that's studio-break.tumblr. And, of course, send us all your cool tweets to at Studio Break on Twitter. And with that out of the way, here's our interview with Jonathan Ingelim. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast, Jonathan Ingeline. How are you this morning?
0: Doing well. It's raining up here in Minnesota.
1: Yeah, and I was going to ask, are you? so are you currently in St. Paul? Where, whereabouts are you in, in Minnesota?
0: Yeah, I'm currently in St. Paul. Um, went to school here, stayed, and kind of in like the first ring of St. Paul suburbs. So I'm not like downtown, but in between the two cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. So.
1: I, I believe I read that you, you've grown up in Wisconsin. So are you kind of like a, I don't know, <laughs> gosh, I was gonna, my, my mind immediately starts going to things that I shouldn't say. Um, but it's, <laughs> is, it, it seems to me like that kind of like a wilderness or landscape or kind of being in the Midwest is, you know, something, I don't know, maybe that informs uh, who you are. Um, and certainly seems reflected in the work a little bit, but could you just kind of talk about, I don't know, just where you're from and, and, I don't know. We can always kind of figure out where we're going from there.
0: <laughs> so I'm a city boy now, but I grew up in kind of a rural area in central Wisconsin. And so my hometown is Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. And it's, uh, it's kind of weird. It's not super rural cause it's a city of like 18,000, but compared to any sort of like city area, mm-hmm. it's pretty tiny and it's super like, industrial post-industrial paper mill town and like literally the wilderness is around like the area in central wisconsin and then you have kind of just this eclectic mix of industries and all around this wisconsin river um it's an interesting place and it definitely informs how i grew up how i interact with the world uh it has kind of reached its heyday and in 2000 it went through this economic crisis where the mill was bought out by a european company Mm -hmm. and so like overnight 40 percent of the jobs kind of vanished and so it kind of reached this apocalyptic um (laughs) uh, event that kind of i think informs the way i view the world and how i interact with uh, like our time and place um and then yeah from from wisconsin rapids i went to school up here in the twin cities and, um, experienced somewhat urban life.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, no, again, I think that's so interesting. And especially, you know, like I think about, you know, what's going on in Flint, Michigan and, and stuff like that now, and, and mm-hmm. just kind of having been to, you know, places where you kind of can see, you know, that kind of economic impact, you know, of you know, like something that used to be kind of greater than it is now. Um, again, it's kind of interesting, um, And I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe it's just because, like, you were kind of saying, like, now you're in the city. You know, one thing that's great about growing up in the Midwest is that you don't have to really, like, travel too far to kind of get out into the country. Um, But certainly, like, if you're living in a smaller town, um, again, I can't imagine that wouldn't kind of impact you. So, again, it's interesting to hear all that. Um, To kind of, like, think about this relative to art making, uh, what kind of things um, did you make growing up? Were you an active artist or were you, like, a, you know badminton player, um, that kind of thing. (laughs) I don't know. Sorry.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah. So so art has been something that I think people really fostered in me from early on. And it would, it, it came down to, I just was somewhat good at drawing. So people just assumed that I was this artist. And so I always had the idea that, Oh, I'm, I'm good at art. and I'm good at creativity. And I spent most of my time, growing up, trying to learn how to make things. I was a boy scout. Uh, and then we, we'd constantly go out in the woods and we'd be whittling sticks and trying to come up with different, uh, things to make with our knives. And, uh, let's see. I also, I grew up in church and, um, every Sunday growing up, I would, I would, I don't know how much to, to engage when you're, like five or six or Mm -hmm. even 10 in church service. So I would just sit and I would draw my own churches Mm -hmm. uh, in the back queues. And I would also be writing short stories. Um, I was pretty eclectic, I think, in trying to make as much as I could and uh, definitely delved into kind of this idea of world making through like stories and creating kind of fantastical drawings
1: and i'm sorry i was just gonna ask did you want to like reading a lot i I, i'm kind of curious just because that there is that kind of like aspect especially when we're talking about you know your your kind of more current work um that idea of like i don't know i don't know there's like a narrative but then there's not a narrative you know you're kind of left to fill in the narrative or make one um so i'm just kind of curious if that like kind of how you access that as a young age i mean were you like reading a lot and
0: I wasn't reading a ton, actually, and that still carries over to today where I start a million books and then move on to the next idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I would say that it's mostly like taking in as much kind of media as I possibly can, and I, th- I think that's behind what fosters my creativity and
2: mm-hmm.
0: like narratives and why, as an artist, I work in so many different media. And, and two, I think film was probably more important than books. I, I feel like I can express myself better in writing. I obviously don't have the tools to do film and I, I just don't have the energy to want to try. So, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, I, it's kind of like an eclectic, like intaking of media and like outpouring it in like whatever kind of experiential way I can.
1: Well, it's interesting that you talk about film too, because I, again, I, I kind of taken with that visual image which I, I guess which is why you know we're we're visual artists but mm-hmm. just that kind of like looking at something and trying to piece something together out of it you know the way that it kind of like asks a question as as opposed to like necessarily telling you outright so I th- again i think that's something that's interesting um any kind of formal experience in, in terms of uh your progression did you take a lot of you know like classes uh you know, in terms of drawing or was that something that was always like something that people encouraged you, like you were talking about before and you came to it maybe later towards college or
0: for my town being, you know, somewhat relatively small, I think it did have an incredible arts program
1: mm-hmm.
0: in in the schools. And that was something that I look back on and, and feel really thankful and blessed about because, uh, I just had so much time to draw and to explore different mediums in and like printmaking, ceramics, sculpture, because we'd have these, we'd have these classes of two hour blocks a day where you just had one art class, which I thought was pretty impressive. Wow. And I, and I had like excellent teachers and, uh, we had art clubs and then Wisconsin does this program where it, we call it art Olympics, but I think Olympics is trademark. So it's called the visual art classic, but mm-hmm. it's, a uh, it's this uh, competition that you you go to every year. You spend three months creating a piece on like a topic and in a category of a medium. You bring that piece to the actual day of competition, and then you uh, submit that. It's judged. Then you have another three hours to make another piece that's judged. Then you do like team. Um, like a quiz bowl where everyone studied 12 artists over the course of three months, um, all around like the subject of, or the theme of the competition. Mm -hmm. Then you also had to do some sort of like performance kind of art piece as a team. So.
1: Yeah. That sounds like an incredible high school art program. Jeez.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I look back and then, and then it was like statewide because you'd go to a regional competition. So it'd just be central Wisconsin. And then you'd go to Madison, Wisconsin to compete If you you know, passed on the regional and then you'd go through state and our program won state my junior year of high school and so it just, there's like a just a really fostering atmosphere of saying like you can pursue art if you want to which is kind of cool
1: no I think actually that's very interesting it's something that you know I, I've never heard of but that's super interesting you know I, I wish they would do that kind of everywhere you know yeah, were there any artists? And I know this is something that maybe I was thinking about asking later. But were there any artists that you were particularly drawn to, or um, early on, kind of were, was like, oh wow, this is like really, I would never have thought of this. Or, I don't know, something like that. But I guess kind of moving forward from there. So again, it sounds like you've gotten you know a lot of experience. Did you know that you wanted to be you know an artist? You know, just after after all these experiences making art with other people in, in high school. Did you? No, like I want to be a fine artist.
0: Kind of, I, it was kind of like a, I, I seriously think first grade. I said I was going to be an architect and carried that all the way through high school. Mm-hmm. And then I realized how much like math goes into it and like rigid like engineering planning and stuff that I didn't want to do. That uh, so I, I said okay, I'll just I'll, I want to be an artist. I don't know what that looks like. I kind of got into ceramics my last year of high school and like was dead set that I'm going to be a ceramic artist which like that completely changed really fast when mm-hmm. I got to
1: college. <laughs> and so where did you, where did you, uh, where did you start then? And...
0: Went to Bethel university. It's a private college in St. Paul. I went for music actually mm-hmm. with art too, but I feel like like art was always the like foundation that I felt this is what I'm going to do. But then I kept exploring all these other different things cause I was doing education or, like history and diff- I just put on like these different ideas of what I should do. And then eventually like those dried up and then I was like, no, I'm just going to do art. I'm going to be a studio artist. I have no idea what that looks like. That got into like the art program. Um, it's a, it's a tiny program. I think, well, when I graduated, we had um, 16 of us. Mm-hmm. So, um, but then you'd have like a dozen professors
1: Wow. Yeah. That's pretty, actually pretty awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it seems pretty rare um, to have yeah. that kind of like ratio. So that's really interesting. W- were you kind of like taken with any, any classes or were there any kind of like early experiences that kind of helped solidify that?
0: It's a liberal arts school. So just a ton of classes you don't like feel like you need to take. And so I think that was enriching. I was much better at Two dimensional art, then ceramics or sculpture, and uh, there was—I remember feeling really intimidated about ceramics. That's why I got out um, Mm -hmm. because there was some pretty like cool stuff going on in there. But then I just—I immediately took a sculpture class, which I felt was extremely hard, but I was doing well at it. But then I continued to kind of, you know, I kept pursuing that art education portion of it and then kind of got intimidated out of the ed program just because it it felt like a million classes I shouldn't take. Um, Mm -hmm. And then kind of found myself in this printmaking class and I hated intaglio printmaking in high school. I I remember that, but then we started learning these new uh, or just better techniques than what I learned in high school. And so it kind of opened my world up to, like what could be done with printmaking. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with the intaglio medium. Uh, but I think like, what was most fundamental in my college education was having like personal relationships with my professors. Mm-hmm. And I, I was reflecting on this a little while ago, whereas I'm like, who can leave college saying they know and have a relationship with every single one of their professors in the art program? And I was like reflecting on that. And like, I still email them and say, Hey, look what, look what opportunity I just got. Or, Hey, I would love to meet up and chat or Hey, can you help me with uh, this grant? Or, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like they've become, they're my friends and like, they're still my mentors in many ways. And uh, so I think that was the most fostering of uh, what I wanted to do. And I just fell in love with every single medium that they taught because they were kind of pillars. So you'd have like the sculpture professor, the drawing professor, the printmaking, um, digital media and, and so you an art history and you'd have all these different like pillars to go to. And so I just found myself having completely different conversations with each with each of them and began to realize how much, uh, I loved all these different courses and mediums and was enthralled probably mostly with art history and letting that, Kind of dictate and inform all my like artistic ideas, and I, I had to go through a like a challenging of what I was as an artist. Probably my sophomore year of college, and mm-hmm. at, at that time, I was still doing like kind of picturesque landscapes, um, kind of trying to fit ideas into it because I would make these survival kind of paintings and prints that really dove into just painting like these sublime landscapes and I'd paint like people exploring it or, you know, engaging with it. And then I, I remember my printmaking professor kind of giving me the, cause I kept talking about how I want to be this contemporary artist and he kind of, we had the conversation about what does like craft look like and what does like kind of that niche landscape art look like and how does like that kind of stuff end up in a contemporary gallery Mm-hmm. And it kind of made me like go through that insecure moment of what do I want to do?
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so the first thing I ended up doing was going out and buying any book I could find at Barnes and Noble on landscape art, and it ended up being this uh, book called Badlands. And it was a it was a bunch of essays and pictures from this uh, exhibition at MASS MoCA. Uh, of contemporary landscape art. So it was I, like it was perfect. It was contemporary landscape art and essays about the importance of it. And I literally only read the first essay and then I was like sold and went off with that. Um, it was on like our apocalyptic interaction with landscape today and how we can't, we view the, the earth in this lens of being able to destroy it and also having ruined it in many ways. And then kind of how do we interact as humans when we don't really feel connected with the land, but we kind of have this like apocalyptic experience with it. And like, that's literally the day that it started where I have created my body of work since then all focusing around apocalyptic landscape art and humans interacting with it and kind of the ideas and philosophies
1: behind all that. Well, again, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm curious in terms of how to kind of break that down. Um, and, and I guess especially like where that investigation starts. Were you like drawing these things? Were you making etchings? Or
0: Yeah. The first piece I made after that was the, in my series called Post-Time Survival Tips. Mm-hmm. And those originally started off as, so I, I would, I thought this was perfect. I got to be able to draw and etch my, like idealistic landscape scenes, but then I'd put these post-apocalyptic tips down at the bottom. And at first they were really like practical, like don't do blank and um, stay away from blank. Um, But then as, as that series has gone on, they've become way more like wisdom literature kind of things, like talking more about like the emotional side to wrestling with our interaction with the landscape in, I guess in this apocalyptic setting, but it it's become more of a metaphor for kind of longing for these idealistic landscapes. And at the same time, like re-envisioning like the wilding of our, our world in this post-apocalyptic setting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that those pieces I've been creating for like several years now, and I've really enjoyed watching how they've, morphed into like along with me and whereas now like I'm still making them and I'm making them for like my upcoming stuff and I'm I've really focused on only displaying the Minnesota Wisconsin landscape and it's been really engaging for me to kind of rethink of these locations out in like like our natural parks and settings and and start imagining what they'd look like like before, like, European colonization or before even Native American interaction and just this wilding of the, the landscape and how would we interact with that. Uh, and then pairing that with, like, an overarching narrative about survival and the meaning behind why you keep going on. And
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I'm curious, like, in terms of that process, I mean, do you wind up generating a lot of your ideas, you know, by, like, writing them down? Do you do them like by exploring materials or going on walks or, you know, just observing yeah. stuff. What, what are there different things that kind of like set off an idea?
0: Yeah. It's mostly, I think in my studio practice, I spend probably 90% of the time writing things down because mm-hmm. I'll go sit in my studio for hours and, and be writing on in my sketchbooks and on pieces of paper Um I'm either like engaging what does it mean to be human in this contemporary society or what does it mean to interact with our landscape? What does it mean to um like live out existence? Uh and then I'll be writing or I'll be writing down like these like little narrative quotes or um writing a short story or you know, coming up with these survival tips. And so I, I really think ninety percent of my practice is just mulling over my experience with the world. I read tons of articles on like technology and how does that interact with our experience. I read about like philosophical views on what life means in the 21st century. I do go on hiking trips as much as I can trying to, you know, lay out and like take inspiration from the the setting that I've like really intentionally decided that this was only going to be, um, featured in my work that Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, the Great Lakes was going to be my like main focus on in my art. So since I decided that that was going to be my subject matter, I've been trying to hike as much as I can, be outside, and kind of let that inform me. I, I play ar- around a lot with materials. I like to – like, I'm constantly trying to learn new mediums, and I don't draw that much, actually. hmm I spend a lot of time like learning different like sewing or knitting techniques or learning about how you would dye like fabric or um, looking at ancient textile, you know, painting with different kinds of metallic paints or um, encaustic mediums and just trying to learn as many different materials as I can. Mm-hmm. But really the the act of art making or making a piece is months spent thinking about it. And then it kind of just materializes when I sit down to make it.
1: Well, I'm curious too, like in terms of like a, you know, like a visual image, uh, for me, especially like I, I need a place to start. And so I'm curious then, is is that like something where you might take a fragment of something that you've seen and use that memory to kind of like base a piece, or is it something where you might literally write down all your ideas and then start to kind of like formulate what you need You know, kind of planning it out like, oh, you know, I learned how to do this type of, you know, like I'm going to dye this fabric this way. And, you know, something where it's kind of more designed by you as opposed to be like inspired by, you know, an experience, I guess.
0: By the time I start making the piece, um, like I know exactly what I want it to be and I just pulled all the different um ways of working with materials that I know into, into this piece. And so one example, I just made this sculpture of a sled and what I did was I knew it it needed to be, I knew exactly what materials I wanted um, for this sled and it's constructed with found wood that I got in the forest. And then I, I painted those gold metallic paint and then I literally just assembled the sled with tarp and oval blanket and these braided rope that I created out of yarn and uh, wire. And um, so it's kind of – it's like a foraging act, I think, when I make a sculpture because I, I just have all my materials that laid out in my studio. And then I just kind of go to town. As I, like, interact with the piece, I'm, like, kind of in, like, a this is survival mode of – Trying to forge materials and see, oh, what would work best here? Oh, what color would look best here? But I know exactly what I want it to be before I even start.
1: What has that sculptural side um, been like? That that element—it seems to me like it kind of helps, like, just reinforce the other ideas. Like, there's other, you know, like you've been talking about learning how to do different things in different mediums, but again, just allows different ways in for the the people that might look at your work.
0: I find sculpture to be like the most difficult thing for me to like actualize. Um, cause I, I, I had a really like good foundation in like 2d and drawing and, but so I think sculpture has been the most like challenging. So in my head, it's been the most fun, uh, to try to work out the complexities of a sculpture, make it like look well. Yeah. That all seems to come out of this world that I've been building. Um, so I think the 2d informs the 3d and then the 3d informs the 2d and that's all informed by my fiction writing, um, which is all informed by my like sitting down thinking about my ideas. And like the big idea that I'm always talking about is apocalyptic nostalgia and and the interplay on those two words and how we interact with the world. So like they all, they're constantly being interwoven together and I'll put my sculptural pieces. Like I made a series of these tattered, I call them prayer flags. Um and I like those are in my two-dimensional works, or um I made like these sticks in my two-dimensional works and then put them in like made them actually. So it's it's kind of like I almost think about it as sort of I'm building like the movie set or the movie scene. Um, and then they're just actualizing or when they're actualized, then they get set into this two dimensional world that I, and so I like the interaction between all the different mediums. And I like that. I feel like you need one piece to inform the other piece in many ways. I, you need my sculpture of, uh, like the prayer flags in order to like understand maybe more of the drawing. And then the drawing puts the prayer flags in a context that is more interesting than maybe like a gallery setup, and, and then letting those narrative aspects that I write into the pieces inform that the viewer, that there's this narrative story, like fill in the pieces to um, what's going on in this world that I'm building. And then like, let all that sink into how we, I guess, engage landscape in the world. and
1: Yeah, I was observing how, you know, the prints and the 2D works are more black and white, and then the sculptural works kind of include more color. And so it's interesting because, you know, you talk about, like, in some ways, we're talking about, like, different worlds. And so there's a, it's almost like, acts as like a weird bridge, you know, from that world into, like, an actual world. And so, again, it's really kind of interesting to kind of see that relationship where you might look at a, a you know, a drawing, you know, that's in, you know, like a triptych format. And then, you know, there are these flags, but then you can kind of see them, you know, in this actual way too. So there's kind of like a way that, that it kind of like bridges out of that that world mm-hmm. and into, you know, the physical world, which I think, again, is something that makes it really, again, kind of interesting in terms of that relationship and that play. Um, and again, as you kind of describe, this is essentially what what your, you know, current project is or current work is. And so um, it sounds like this is like culminated in an exhibition for your, for your BFA, but then is that also something that again is, is going to be what's uh, upcoming in terms of your work is kind of playing with these kind of relationships between the the 2d and the 3d and exploring this idea of like a, you know, uh, apocalyptic nostalgia.
0: Yeah. Since like, creating my work for apocalyptic nostalgia I've just consistently created more and more and more out of that and I'm wondering if I'll ever run out of like conceptual energy by that but I like those words are just so rich to me that I I feel like I've always been making art in this like lens and trying to like build up this world but yeah that's like the new stuff that I'm like showing next month is just kind of uh like reinterpreting those old pieces from my BFA show and then kind of like, I think, making them better. Where's this
1: uh, exhibition going on?
0: Yeah, so the exhibition's going on in Columbus, Ohio at the Roy G. Biv Gallery, and that's from April 2nd to the 30th. And so, yeah, in a couple weeks now, I'll be uh, driving down in my dad's truck to uh, install my sculptures as well as like eight to ten intaglio prints as well as a couple other little sculptures i've made and like a short story that i'll go along with the um in the space so you can read them there take them and it's trying to again just flesh out these ideas in as many mediums as i can um in uh, different lenses and let the like experience of interacting between them all, like, happen in this space as well. So
1: Really interesting um, when you find a subject that has so many, I don't know, different ways to explore it. Again, it's very fertile to kind of keep working that way. I'm curious, um, then, like, in terms of, because you've kind of talked about this, especially regionally, are you curious about other regions?
0: I feel like I get more focused when I say I'm from the Upper Great Lakes. It's kind of a... I think it's kind of like, you know, breezed over thought-wise. Like, um, it's not very, like, known for its art scene. It's not known for its culture very well, or if, especially you know, to the east and west coast, um, or the mountains even, and the ocean. It's kind of its own. Like, oh, it's got a, it's got a little lake, or it's got the woods. So, it, part of me and like part of I think some of my mission in making art is kind of you know, letting other people into this, like, really wild setting of, you know, Minnesota and Wisconsin that, you know, maybe not many people know about how just, you know, beautiful the landscape is in its own subtle way. And, and I do like that interaction. I do like present that. And so, and I don't know, like, I, Wisconsin's very, like, patriotic in who they are. And so part of me is just like, I just want to continue to be Wisconsin night <laughs> um, <laughs> the current stuff I am doing is focusing on like reinterpreting and reimagining what like n- the North shore of Lake Superior would look like or what would that be in a culture like of post-apocalypse and um, I spend like I in my art practice I just spend less of my time um, and don't make artworks like about the apocalyptic event or about um, the end of the world but actually me and my uh collaborator with my website nortribe.com we uh have created this post post apocalyptic world we call it and it's a it means that like it's so post the apocalypse that it's its own thing now mm-hmm. and so we're just reinterpreting what this landscape and these people would interact with um if contemporary society was completely gone and they were these like paleolithic bands of, you know, hunters and gatherers, or they lived in these villages or, and so that's where like my fiction really plays into. And that's what my, my new intaglio prints talk about. And that's what my sculptures are as these almost museum, like sculptures of representing what a people's group or people's um, or tribe or village would kind of make or, put out and so yeah we 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 create through that lens of post post apocalypse which is i we were uh, playing around with the idea of like the post climate change being like the new frontier Mm -hmm. um to the american psyche and so that's kind of where my new body of work has gone to is what um what would the new quote-unquote like American frontier be in this post climatic um, landscape where it's just so different from like now. And we have all of our like own human fears interacting with like the death of our current society or our current landscape. And then um, kind of in like in an innocent way, try to interact with landscape again as like being fresh or just trying to like go back to a time when it was wild and untouched and not like messed up with like our urban sprawl, or um, you know, our, our, intera- our current building on it, um, and so I, I find myself going in and out between like rethinking of like what would it be that this was all destroyed, and what would the landscape be like? What would what would humanness be like? And then, but also kind of pulling it back to like pre human interaction with it and i i am working on a current grant um for my hometown and it, and i'm creating these large scale intaglio prints um and they're supposed to be of the setting of our Wisconsin River and underneath them is going to be a, like a narrative quote i wrote them out to be like pull quotes from like a longer story um, but it's basically this interaction between an old man and a young man, um, talking about like what does it mean to exist um, as they explore this like region or um, like identity in this post books apocalyptic world. And then I have these like idealistic settings of the Wisconsin River where I'm reinterpreting what the river looked like before European society and settlement. And um, so in in many aspects, I feel like you know the fur trader, the 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 voyager who is interacting with Wisconsin for the first time, um, and what that would be like, or in which it's a kind of, that's an interesting, like parallel to me that I would sit in my studio and interact with the landscape in such a way. Um, and I almost kind of like that. I don't go out in the wild or like the woods that much that I would just sit in my studio and try to like, you know, long for like this wild existence. Um, but it's like painful at the same time. Cause you know, it doesn't exist right now.
1: <laughs> well, so before we go any further, why don't you just talk a little bit more about Nord tribe and you know what the website entails? Again, there's a blog, there is a podcast and I guess, um, how do you come up with these projects and, and who is your kind of main collaborator?
0: It's mainly me and another guy. He's been my roommate all through college and, we have some other people that are involved collaboratively and and come in and out of the picture. But, um, what this is, is, well, our project for us to engage like the ideas behind apocalyptic nostalgia or, um, interaction with the, uh, wilderness in a digital setting. So it's, it's again, I guess I'm putting on another medium hat and trying to interact (laughs) and engage the world. Um, which, it, 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 so it's interesting being an artist and trying to like come out of school and try to gain momentum in your career, and and so I, I felt that like the online space was kind of where I could do that more, and so it originally started out as I just did my artist website and like a blog on there, and then it slowly morphed into oh we made this whole new experience called Nord Tribe, which is this conceptualized like idea I guess of interacting with our Minnesota, Wisconsin culture in a, in a post-apocalyptic way. And so we, we, we put on all different hats. We have short stories on there uh, where we have this wild setting um, in our post-apocalyptic world, or we have our podcast now, which talks about the ideas behind apocalyptic nostalgia. What does it mean? Like, what do we do as artists Mm -hmm. and how, like, what does our art practice look like? Um, But then at the end of the day, like, our podcasts are about cave art and what does that mean to be human or the cold and why, why does winter, especially up in Minnesota, why does that bring significance to us being human? And then, and then we write articles about it. Um, So it's kind of been this way for us to engage the idea that technology is changing us as how we are human. And um, how do we like be productive about, like being human again.
1: again the wonderful thing about the uh the the web is just that you know like anybody can participate with that then you know or like get, yeah, you absolutely. know the, like follow it or follow that discussion because um, again i think it's one of those things where like I, I i said i wouldn't bring it up but i mean um when you have um politicians that maybe mm. could lead us into a, <laughs> a world where there isn't a world anymore i don't know these things start to become um Oh, things that you wonder about. And I also wonder for myself, again, and maybe we can turn this into a question. I mean, kind of being in more of a, a urban area than now, I mean, is this something that kind of also makes it relevant where you're kind of like looking back on other experiences and um thinking about this as a way to kind of explore that idea of like a an experience out out in the the world or I don't know. It strikes me that again, yeah. like you talk about the cold, you know, like there's a lot of physicality with that. So I mean it's almost like in a way, a way of paying homage to that or, or, I don't know, exploring that. But again, maybe you can respond in some way to that ramble.
0: (laughs) I think what our, what our site, the the first thing that you see is, well, the Nord tribe logo, and then you see a phrase that says exploring the human wilderness. Um, And so it's kind of, yeah, my past experience does like inform how right now I I want to be, I, I long to be like outside. I long to be, um, I guess, do do experience, do and experience things that are more human than how I feel in my office job or in more than like just sitting inside. And so like I, I long, you know, for those Boy Scout experiences, um, I long for going up and I, I was up in the Boundary Waters last summer for the first time. And the Boundary Waters are like the iconic thing for any Minnesotan because so what it is, is it's a chain of lakes. Um, right at the border of uh, Minnesota and Canada, and it is the largest wilderness area in the United States, and it's like the symbol of pride for Minnesota. And so I got to experience that for the first time, and I was blown away. Like, one, you you go you drive up the north shore of Lake Superior, and it's this rugged, wild experience, and you've got all these cliffs going off into the into the lake. You've got waterfalls constantly, like up the this beautiful coast and it's wild. And then you go into it a little bit and then the boundary waters begins. And it's just these chain of chains of lakes that they almost look like mountain lakes without the mountains, because you've got these rolling Hills that just look majestic and um, they're tiny compared to actual mountains, but they, they're, they are full of white pines and hemlock and spruce and birch and uh, you you just canoe between the lakes, and there's no motor boating in the lakes. There's um they only let a certain amount of permits in, so only a certain amount of people. They have a rule that you can't form a group of nine or more, so it, it's really wild. And then what we ended up doing was hiking um, and portaging our canoes uh, several miles till we came across this like, to Minnesota standards, like massive waterfall. Mm -hmm. And then we swam at the bottom of it and it it just dawned on me so much that like, you can't even access this with a car. You have to go by canoe. So it, it, and then like experiencing nature in that way, that seems fresh and like idealistic and like wonderful is, is really what informs like why I do this online project. Um, But then like, it hits you too. It hit me when I was swimming in the waterfall that, Like this is kind of a, to some extent, it feels like a curated experience because I'm safe there. I'm not, I'm not, you know, surviving, but it's, I'm in the boundary waters for recreation. It's not that dangerous. It's not that I'm not that far away from technology. I mean, I I was carrying my phone around to take pictures and, Mm -hmm. and so like, and I think the tension between those two is what has fueled this project on the website. And trying to be just super out front that, like, we're engaging technology, but also, like, we're aware that we're, like, using it as, like, the platform of communication.
1: What kind of responses have you been kind of getting? Have you, like, found that there's, you know, other people that are out there that are that are kind of like in the same way, I'm sure, you know, in terms of some of the friends and, and the people that are contributors, but I mean, what kind of a response have you seen um, in terms of just people to, to your work? And then also to this, this project,
0: a lot of initial feedback and feedback we hear has been, they've, are really excited that we would be creating um, kind of like a Minnesota way of interacting with our technology and creating like kind of like a, like a culture around it. Um, And I I remember one feedback was, Oh, that someone said um, it was like, Oh, I I do feel like I can think about being more human by the way I live in Minnesota. Um, um, So to one extent, it seems a little like patriotic to like the region and I think I, I feel, especially in Minnesota too, they just are trying to like create a self identity and, but there's that. And then there's also like the side of, okay, you're engaging like our culture and the tech culture and the digital world, like in creative ways that I haven't thought of before. That's kind of been a big like feedback. Um, and, and yeah, it's still really new. Like it's five months old. Um, so I'm still trying to figure that out but I I've, I've enjoyed the way in which it's like interacted with like the world and I guess one one other thing as I've uh interacted with my grant mm-hmm. from my hometown we've uh put out some like content that's just a little bit more emotionally ambiguous like it it feels hopeful but it it uh it also feels apocalyptic and sad and like you're past your prime in our like cities and in the region. And uh, the immediate feedback from that was I got feedback from all sorts of angles, like, like people approaching this as, yeah, there's, we have big problems with our world today and other people who become really hopeful about how we interact now and move forward and reconstruct what we have. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the like diversity of responses has been, like the most intriguing to me. And it, it makes me think, how do I, how do I keep fostering those more like mulling about it kind of interactions with on my website? and
1: Yeah. It strikes me as like, again, also like, where, like that asking that question as to whether or not you're like an optimistic person or not, you know, I think that's something that the work does yeah. really well too, because I start you know, I hear that and I go, yeah, I wonder if people really disbelieve that like, you know, when, when, you know, the singularity happens and like, you know, computers mm-hmm. become sentient. They're going to write a program that, you know, fixes every kind of problem. Like in some ways, what you were saying kind of reminds me of that kind of hope. But then there's also like, for me, I look at it like, you know, it requires those people to kind of take appreciation of that and kind of figure things out or, or at least figure out a different way. And so there's that kind of like human side of like trying to rediscover a a world almost, I don't know, when you consider all the technology that's around us. But again, it's a, it's a really interesting realm to kind of be in and and to put people in 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 terms of kind of um, receiving the work, you know? Yeah. Gosh, I don't know. I guess I guess that almost kind of leaves us uh, wrapped up. Um, is there is there <laughs> yeah. any place that you want people to go? And in particularly, again, I know that on on your site there's all sorts of links. Um, but could you just let everybody know where to go and what what else to check out?
0: Yeah, uh, for sure. Start off with my artist page, JonathanEngeline And then, um, from there you can, you can see my work and, um, hopefully with my shows coming up, I'll be able to get photographs of like the newer work and you can see how I've started to regionalize my art a little bit more. Otherwise go to nordtribe.com. That's N-O-R-D-E tribe.com. And, uh, that's got as much content as I've, I can create on like all these ideas I've been thinking about, but that leads me to, um, I have been working on a grant for the last year uh, for my hometown, Wisconsin Rapids, and it's through the Encourage Foundation. And it's called the Tribune Building Grant, and I'm creating um, works for that as well as trying to engage my hometown and uh, have that on my blog, on my personal website. Um, But then starting next month, I've got my show in Columbus, Ohio at the Roy G. Biv Gallery. And um, if anyone's in Columbus, Ohio, go check it out because uh, yeah, I don't know anyone there. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, again, that's – again, it's one of the other things that I think about um, and I apologize because I just went up going on and <laughs> – but, yeah, everybody definitely go make sure to check out all those links because, again, there's links to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. But I was going to say one of the things that's so fun about making art, too, is like you're just kind of describing is when you do have those shows somewhere and you, you know, you get into that, like, interesting conversation with a stranger. So, again, I, I hope people do come out and check out the work. Again, it's going to be really interesting to kind of follow up with you, you know, along the way to see how the project changes and, you know, of course, yes. uh, to see how the work changes. Um, but uh, again, I, I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time this morning. It's been a lot of fun chatting and and learning about your work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks once again to Jonathan for joining us. If you want to see some of his work, be sure to check out his website, JonathanEngling.com. And be sure to check out Nord Tribe Again, there's a link on his website, but that's Nordtribe.com. There is a blog. There's a podcast. There's all sorts of ways to interact. So please go ahead and check it out. Be a participant. You can also see his work opening up April 2nd, and that's going to be at the Roy G. Biv Gallery in Columbus. Again, this show runs from April 2nd through the 30th. As we move on to our regular announcements, I want to thank uh, regular listeners for being so patient once again. Lots of things going on outside of uh, the Studio Break studio, keeping me from uh, doing some of these episodes, but I'm going to try to be a bit more on it. So thanks for your patience. If you are now a new listener, we do want to tell you to check out the other Studio Break episodes. Again, there is a healthy archive at studiobreak.com. Each of those have images of the work as well as links to their websites and these candid interviews. So check them all out. You can, of course, follow the iTunes link, subscribe there. And, of course, if you like this podcast, please leave us some feedback in iTunes. Again, it just helps others uh, find podcasts to listen to. So we appreciate your help there. You can also help by uh, sharing uh, interviews and all sorts of stuff, again, in a variety of different media. So please like and follow our Facebook account. You can Check out our Tumblr account, that's studio-break.tumblr. And if you're on Twitter, please share stuff. But, of course, um, get in on the conversation. Again, it's great to hear from new artists. Um, always fun to hear from uh, new people, get new messages, see new art. So please uh, share where you like. And hopefully before long, we're going to have some announcement on our annual exhibition or competition. So, again, that includes uh, BFA, MFA, and professional artists. So, again, look for that in, I don't know, about a month or so. Um, Again, we'll keep you posted and make sure there's plenty of time to apply. But we love getting these applications like Jonathan. Again, very interesting stuff going on out there in the world. Let me take a second to thank Skyler Mail. He provides the music of Studio Break and is a visual artist, musician, performance artist, and you can check out his work at SkylarMail.com. Lastly, of course, you can check out my work. If you're curious about where I'm coming from and you want to see some of my work, please visit DavidLinaway.com. Again, there's plenty of paintings going on up there, and... Again, that's about it for our episode this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.